Welcome to the Prepare to Win Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Uh, today, we're just going to kind of wrap up uh, 2020, talk about a couple things. We're going to answer a lot of questions here, too, since we've been slacking on that. So, <laughs> finally getting to them. Don't worry. I guess, first of all, you know, to the people that do support us, uh, thank you. Thank you for listening uh, to this podcast. We just started it not long ago, I know, but, um, you know, it's picked up some ground and it's good that uh, people actually support people out there. It's, it's like a, a thing in 2020 that you either supported things or you were completely against them. I feel like there was no middle ground on anything. So um, cancel or embrace. Yeah. So it's good that, uh, you know, we do have that support going forward. Um, you know, I posted something yesterday just kind of like, Asking the question of, did you run away from 2020 or did you face it head on? For a lot of us, like the majority of people out there, you are affected negatively somehow, you know, whether it's in business, work or whatever. Some people, you know, yes, you were able to keep your job, um, maybe not as many hours, maybe, you know, it gets a little bit more uncomfortable in your work environment because of the restrictions that you had or something like that. But, um you know, for, for a lot of business people, small business, I mean, we we took, um, a lot of people I know took a massive hit this year. Some recovered, some didn't. You know, we opened um, another gym a couple weeks prior to the shutdowns, which ended up shutting down completely. Um, it just wasn't worth the, the risk at the point. Uh, at that point in time, we didn't know what was going to go on and things like that. Um, then, you know, we also had people that just flat out quit the industry. Um, so that kind of set us into this hole of like, we don't have enough staff personnel to take care of everything. And it's kind of hard to go out and just grab people up. Um, a lot of people ask that, like why, you know, we just didn't grab someone else or grab other people and hire them. It's just, that's not really the way I operate. And I wasn't going to take a startup and, Hey, I don't know anything about you, but come in, uh, let's, let's work and you know help me run this get this going and stuff now wasn't going to take that risk um, especially you know on the amount of rent increase and things we had so um, just wasn't worth it so that's gone um, but what I talked about in there um, in that post was you know about moving forward and you know I know for me personally like I said like you know I up my knowledge on some things since the markets were swaying a lot and there were some crazy runs and things I up my knowledge on day trading and swing trading and, you know, started trading options and different things like that. You know, it's, it's been a great kind of ride, like learn some lessons there um, the hard way, losing some money, gain some money, you know. So it's, it's fun to watch things be able to compound and to watch, you know, I'm a, I've always been a numbers guy, so it's kind of fun to me. And I've always been someone that's fairly smart with money. So, um, you know, it's fun for me to be able to do that. But again, like I, I took you know, a situation that wasn't optimal and I just tried to like learn something why you know, you had extra time at home apparently or whatever, which, you know, I, I, I still had a lot of online clients. I still had a lot of clients take care of, but without having to worry about the gym, it was kind of like a, a little step back and got to relax and focus on other things. Let me ask you something. When you made the decision to kind of take all that extra time and energy and put it towards learning like in your case, day trading, mm. did you do that because you felt guilty that you weren't? Did you feel a responsibility to do it or was there a genuine interest? Um, well, I've always been invested. 
um, kind of, you know, I've always been invested and there's times I've had to like pull my money out of the market um, to do different things like when I bought some land or, you know, which is basically just taking my money and shifting it to another investment, mm -hmm. um, you know, or I've taken it out for certain things that we want to do or you know, business or, like, you know, kind of whatever. But it was more or less like I have all this free time and I felt I'm one of those people like it's hard for me to sit still and I feel yeah. like if I'm sitting still too long, like I'm unproductive and I'm not doing anything. So the reason um, I ask is because there was quite a bit that started coming out, I don't know, maybe like three to four weeks in to the shutdown where people were saying, if you're not doing something with this, you're wasting your time. If you're not mm -hmm. starting a side hustle, if you're not making another business, if you're not uh, learning a new language. And there was all this guilt associated yeah. with it where they were, they're just making people feel or making people feel bad mm -hmm. if they didn't go out and hustle. And it's like, if you're the type of person, and this is, I know this about you is why I you know, bring it up is that in that moment you were like, I've got time. I'm going to make use of it mm -hmm. versus someone else who was like, I finally have a time to catch my breath. Yeah. I'm going to do that too. Yeah. Like both of those well, are equally productive. Just, I, I guess I, I did that too. Mm -hmm. like I, it was a time, um, I can remember back, I, I told Lindsay, I'm like, it's weird because like, I'm in a bind where I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. I mm -hmm. don't know the outcome of this, but you know, I, at first I was just pissed off, you know, obviously, yeah. um, my business getting told I have to close down and you know, all these things. Um, but there was a time when I was just like almost relaxed mm -hmm. like for the first time. I'm like, shit, like everything slowed down dramatically and yeah. life sl stopped pretty much like slowed. So it was like, it did give me time to start thinking about other things. Um, it did give me time to, you know, there was times I did sit on the couch for a little bit and just do nothing and enjoyed whatever I was watching there. Yeah. But I think like, you you weren't obligated. A lot of people need to understand. Like you're not you weren't obligated to like. Oh my god, I have to start a side hustle week one because we've been shut down. Right. No, like I think it was a time for people to be able to sit back, reflect, look where your life's at, look what just happened, where's your financials at, mm -hmm. you know. And some people just got stuck in a in a bad spot, you know. Oh yeah, like you know, obviously I can take myself as a sample. Like spend all that money on that business and then bam, gone. Mm -hmm. You know, there was other people that maybe they had just. I don't know, bought a house or something or whatever mm -hmm. and, um, you know, drained some savings there and then, oh, that hits and now you're just in a bad spot. Yep. Um, and then for others, like, you know, if you were already sitting kind of comfortable, you still had a job and the statistics actually just came out on this a couple of days ago, but if you had a job and everything was fine, you're sitting on a large savings probably now. Um, you're probably actually better off now than you were to start 2020, which is crazy to think about. Um, but the, they came out with the statistics on that, and there's a there's obviously a wide gap on that. Cause there's people that lost everything. There's mm -hmm. people that are still in poverty. There's people, um, you know, they did say like the billionaires got even more money, you know, and things like that. Um, but we won't get too far into that. But the point is, like, it was a good time to sit back, reflect, figure yourself out, and you know, maybe it did pro provide an opportunity. There's a lot of businesses popping up out of that opportunity. Absolutely. You know, people were able to find buildings cheaper, um, maybe real, you know, uh, not real estate exactly, but commercial real estate, retail spaces, things mm -hmm. like that. You probably, 
we're able to negotiate rent a little bit better. Um, you saw a boom in uh, taking the fitness industry for an example, like the online technology mm-hmm. got pushed forward really fast mm-hmm. with what people were doing with online coaching and online right. uh, material. And that, that gave people also, I think, a time to, if they hadn't been really in the online space, a time to kind of get used to it and yep. get into it and learn new creative ways to help their clients. So, yeah, for, for me, too, it's like I had, um, you know, also been looking into some other things uh, with, you know, running the meets and all that stuff mm-hmm. that we're going to end up starting next fall, uh, if all goes well here. So we're, we're talking to different presidents of different federations and things right now to try to kind of figure that out but we already kind of know where we're heading but um you know it it's one of those times that like we were able to step back look at the big picture yeah. and start planning to go forward yeah i think that's a really important way to put it like the idea of running you know towards 2020 mm-hmm. with the way that things were it can be misunderstood from someone who still has that guilt mindset of, oh, I didn't do enough. Here was an opportunity I should have been doing, you know, A, B, and C, and, like, if I do those, great, I'm going to move on to the next yeah. thing. Where it it could just be, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I can put more time and energy into doing the research for yeah. the federations that you might be working with with the meets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, for example, it was the first time that, like, I had really slowed down for, I don't know, like 13, 14 years, yep. just like nonstop, go, 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 go. And yeah, like there were like a week or a weekend or something where I didn't, but in the same way, my brain doesn't really know how to comprehend taking all that time off. And that was a huge shift and I could have run away from it and, you know, tried to occupy myself with bullshit, meaningless things. But there was a point in there was like, all right, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to figure out what to do with it. And there was a whole, I mean, essentially like a thesis or manifesto that came out of it that, I figured out that I want to do for recovery. It wasn't in any way intentional. Yeah. It wasn't something that I ever planned on writing. Um, but as it started, you have the choice of I'm going to allow myself to really dive into this or I'm going to keep putting it on the back burner. And, you know, that's what I did. Kind of right. ran towards that. I think, too, like what kind of worries me is there, there are, um, you know, with all the government help, government stimulus, government this, you know, and that sitting around, you know, it's like, people need to understand like that time is going to end. Um, so it's time to get working again. You know, that, that this one thing that like, I feel like there are some people that just slowed down and never picked back up yet, you know? And it's like, that's, that's not the case. Like you should have kind of bowled your way through the whole thing as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cause you can't predict the future at all. You know, it's like us rolling into that, like, that you know that year of planning that went into opening that space and getting that guy that took six months just to get that guy out of the space mm-hmm. and I had to negotiate paying him to leave um, but it's like if I had you know predicted the future and I knew there was going to be though this pandemic and a market crash on hell when I open that business I would have put all that money straight into the market when it crashed and I'd be sitting real nice right now you mm-hmm. know so it's um, you can't predict what's going to come. So you should always just, you know, you can plan for the future, but always have backup plans and always be able to pivot. Like if you can't adapt and pivot to something else or whatever, you might have to shut down that idea and move on to yeah. something else. But if you can't do that, then you're just, you're, you're going to stay stagnant in whatever you're doing or you might regress. So, um, yeah, a lot of, 
you know, and hopefully next year everybody gets back to travel and everything gets going again. But, you know, it's, um, it's crazy to see even like some of the places we go that, you know, the restaurant used to be packed or, mm-hmm. you know, they used to be constant busy. And it's like now you can just kind of walk right in and everything's fine. You know, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about, but, um, you know, the whole point of, of moving forward and everything that we're trying to promote is that like with with the mindset of like the people around here is we're always going to move forward no matter what yeah. you know so it's um, just who we are yeah a lot of people just you got to adapt that you got to find what's going to work for you so i know people at hell there's people that start looking into like going back to school for something else mm-hmm. or whatever so um there's plenty of opportunity out there don't think just because the media tells you there might not be that there's nothing you know there's still a lot going on so and that's one of the great things about it um i know that that might be a terrible way to phrase it mm-hmm. but and I, I do feel hesitant to say like it was an amazing opportunity mm-hmm. but think about being in the situation that you were in where you finally had the time to do research to look at some of these things you had the mm-hmm. time to start learning with the day trading and yeah you might have figured that out over the eventually yeah. the next couple of yeah. years but not at the rate that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have written the way that I did without that. I wouldn't have figured out things that yeah. I did. Um, and most importantly is that you're not just picking up an old task that you hadn't done. The f- situation forces you to evolve that thought into, you know, turn it into something that would work in the moment. You know, like the whole online fitness. You know, you have people that, yeah, the movement to move online was probably going to become I mean, a massive thing in the next couple of years anyway, but it forced it to happen so much faster. Mm-hmm. And so you have these people that are put in a position where it's like you learn now or you don't keep up at all. Yeah. And now they have to figure out how can I do this my way? How can I create something that's authentic to me, but still be in the space? How do I learn how to do these things? Um, it's not just taking the task off the back burner. It's, you know, taking that task and making it your own because yeah. it forces you to. And you saw, some really authentic and unique things come out of it because of that, I think is fantastic. Yeah. And there's people that, um, you know, there's people that belong kind of in that space. But the one thing about online is like, that worries me is there's a lot of people that are able to fake it online. Oh yeah. You know, they don't care about you. They don't care about training even. They don't, it's not their passion. Like they say it is. Um, they just care about trying to get you into their, you know, $20 a month, you know, whatever builder program, you know, um, or they're, you know, coaching that's outrageously overpriced and they're not really doing much for you, but sending you a template. So, um, you know, and then there's, now it's all about building your brand. It's all about once you build this culture here, you know, you can kind of go here, you can kind of go here. And there's people that are doing great things with that. And I like to see like, you know, people expand their own market to help different people or, you know, it might be just slightly different. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're in fitness, they're coaching stuff. They've been doing that a while. Maybe they, you know, divert over to here of like supplement or go over here and open a gym. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like they kind of divert around, but it's still like within the same field. But you see people that, like, they grow their fitness culture off of, like, stuff that's not truly fitness. They're just 
maybe they're someone who's photogenic or whatever, and they're able to take high-resolution photos That's all a nice time. way of putting it. But, yeah, let's put it that way. And um, they're able to gain, you know, 100,000, 200,000 followers, and then they start diving into all these side things or whatever, and people are buying it up, and then they got templates, and they, they have all this stuff, and it's yeah. like, really? You know what I mean? Soon you're just like, you don't even give a shit. You don't care no. if you're helping people or not. Um, a lot of people sell out and things like that, too, which is just another thing in itself but um anyway we'll try not to be too negative today uh, anyway we'll keep a nice balance yeah we should uh should get to questions that pretty much you know i just wanted to wrap up 2020 things that we saw things that changed and um you know kind of thank everyone who has supported us hopefully you continue to support us because uh, there's a lot more coming so there's a lot of things that i personally want to do it's just whether i have the the crew around me to do it or not mm-hmm. you know so we'll see um but i know for you know for me i hate to be like bitter about 2020 but after you know that fiasco of next door in, in that gym i mean i'm i'm one of those people that's like going forward i am looking to help myself you know what i mean i'm no well, yeah. longer like carrying people with me like if you're not along for the ride if you don't deserve to kind of be there or if i don't like your fucking business plan or something or I don't think you can hack it. Like I'm not helping you. Yeah, I've done. That's and that's kind of my downfall. I've I've helped too many people that don't give that same support. So, um, moving forward, if it's New Year, New Me, that's me. Is <laughs> that's my new New Year, New Me thing? Is that I'm no longer just is that what they're saying now. New Year, New Me. Yeah, whatever. It is, you know what yeah. I mean? I'm not growing myself, growing my own family, and um, you know, if you're if you're there, you're there. If mm-hmm. Not, I'm not picking up your pieces anymore. So. Yeah. All right. What questions should we start with here? All right. Uh, I'll go because mine are a little bit easier. And uh, the first one that I had come in, uh, can you recover too much? And Justin and I were laughing about it when we were first start, uh, before we started recording. Because no, it, but it, it depends on what you're doing. Um it's too big of a question. Like, can you do too much recovery work? Yeah. Like, if you do a uh, deep tissue massage twice a no. week, you're obviously doing too much. But can you recover beyond a certain well, yeah, point one, too far? Like, those are two like, different things. Like, to where you start regressing backwards. Because let's say, like, you hit a heavy lift. Oh, man, that was brutal. And then you just, like, take two weeks off. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to hit a point of diminishing returns where if mm-hmm. you say, I hit a heavy deadlift and now I'm going to take enough time to recover from that, there comes a certain point where going any longer doesn't do anything. And to have the best results, you, this is where the fine tuning really comes in with your coach. It's like, how much time do I need to take off after doing a 90% deadlift Mm -hmm. so that I'm ready for the next one or more appropriately before I'm ready for say the squats that are coming up in a couple of days. Not not even like take off, but um, just not, you know, not deadlift heavy and two days later I'm deadlifting heavy again. Right. You know, that fatigue so that, management yeah. and just proper programming. So can you over uh, emphasize the amount of time you take for recovery, the amount of work that you do for recovery? Yeah. But understand that when you say that you're quote unquote recovered, that's just returning to a baseline. You can't mm-hmm. return past a baseline. Like once you get to homeostasis for the body, like you're at homeostasis. Any time past that is going to be a waste of time because then you start looking at regressing from any work that you put in prior. No. I don't know if that actually answers it. I think it does. And then the second one was how often should I take a rest day? 
And again, that comes down to depends what you're doing, depends on what you're doing, your age, your yeah, training history, injury history, uh, where you are in your season. Yeah. Like, are you going on an off season? Are you about to ramp up in preparation for competition? What's um, your goal? Yeah, like are you on the last four weeks of competition prep? Mm-hmm. Um, all those things have to take into consideration. I mean, if you were to put a blanket statement, which I hate doing on that kind of thing, like minimum one a week, mm-hmm. probably two. Mm-hmm. You'll find in two days, or at so, least one of those days having to be like a really uh, reduced volume for the day. And over the month, looking at like a two to three days that you take off. And essentially, you know, people are going to get that when they go through their deload if they have that programmed yeah. appropriately. Well, it just, it just depends too, because like, you know, I, I typically train uh, for the past couple of years now, it's been four days a week um, as far as like this is my programming for lifting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seems to work pretty well for me. Um, some people, you know, are better off with five days a week. Um, and then some people, you know, if you're a little bit older, um, even a little bit stronger, and let's say you have high stress life, life maybe you got a couple of kids or whatever, mm-hmm. or newborn, or uh, maybe works crazy, three days a week might be optimal for you. So yeah. um, it just kind of depends on so many factors. There's no, like you said, one statement. Yeah. Um, you know, and if we were turn it back to like someone that's training for you know um 50 mile race or something okay you're not going to take three days off during the week right you know what i mean when you're when you need to be able to move 50 miles um so it all depends on like your goal what's going on you mm-hmm. know what i mean so um if you're in like a bodybuilding prep or something like that and you're entering in you know those last few weeks um typically there's really i wouldn't even call it a day off I mean, you have like lighter days of like maybe it's just cardio, but there's there's always some kind of work, some kind of movement going yeah. on, just to promote more expenditure. Bef- you know, during that cut down phase, you know, I know for most of my clients, it'd be like, you know, they, they'd be five, six days, depending on what mm-hmm. you know demographic they're in or whatever. But um, typically, it's six days for bodybuilding stuff. You know, during those those prep times. And that, I mean, that sounds like a lot yeah, when but, you just say it, but when you look at it, it's mm-hmm. very strategically planned down on yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, there's, day, doing. there's days that they're lifting might only take them like 30, 40 minutes, and then they're doing a little bit of cardio. It's just mm-hmm. to promote movement. And plus, we can't put everything on one day. Right. Because, I mean, whether, you know, we want to say, oh, we're all meatheads and we love it, no one wants to go in there for three or four hours you know what I mean? during day a workout session, especially when you start to get on lower foods and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway. Yeah, just depends. It's but the, that's why you should work with somebody to figure these things out. Nice little plug. Yeah. Yep. That's why that's why templates don't always work for you. You might buy a template that's five days a week, but your optimal training is four days, you know. So All right. other one that came in was saying, What is the difference between uh, flexibility and mobility? And this one, it's a confusing answer because the definitions have changed from the time that I was originally in my undergrad and then when I was in massage school and then um, the things that I'm reading now, the verbiage has morphed a little bit, even to where the thing that I saw recently as I was you know, looking up things just to make sure that I was fresh on what it was. The thing that they say about flexibility is like it's the ability for a joint to move in one specific direction versus mobility, which is the ability for the joint to move in any and all directions. But when I was an undergrad, it's like flexibility was the range of motion for a muscle. So you look at uh, like a hamstring stretch. That's looking at the flexibility of you know the hamstring muscles. 
versus hip mobility was something about, you know, how much range of motion do you have at the joint to go through, you know, particular motions. And then they got into active flexibility versus flexi- like passive flexibility and then active mobility versus passive mobility and things like that where I can understand why someone coming into this would be very confused on trying to figure those things out. I like what I read recently, even though I think that they're purposefully kind of dumbing it down, not dumbing it, like watering it down a little mm-hmm. bit, but saying that flexibility is looking at usually just one specific range of, or direction. So uh, a classic example would be like a, a front split in mm-hmm. gymnastics. It takes a lot of flexibility, but that's only one range that you're looking at versus a squat. You're not as flexible per se as you're doing it, but it takes a much uh, bigger degree of mobility mm-hmm. to hit like a deep squat, like oh. ass to grass or ass to calves. There's a lot more mechanics going on. Right. Yeah. And you're looking at the hip joint moving in different ways within the socket as opposed to just that one range of motion yeah. when you're doing the split. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that gives an idea of how those two differ. But I completely understand why if someone started doing research on it with what had been said in the past and what's being talked about now that it gets kind of confusing on being able to differentiate those. Yeah. We'll throw this one out. The um, question was the easiest and simplest bench press cues that cover most problems. Uh, that's that's kind of a loaded question in a way. It's like there's no like one cue that's going to work for everyone and work for all problems, but there are some that are kind of universal in a way, like you know having your your wrists and uh, your wrists stacked over the elbows, things like that. Um, you know, one of them I like to use is like keeping your sternum high. Um, okay. You know, some people tend to you know, sink their bench or whatever. So it's, it's a little different, but, um, for most people, if they're able to keep their sternum high, whenever they're coming down on the eccentric part of the bench press, um, just before it touches, I always talk about like thinking of pulling your sternum then to the bar just before. Um, so that keeps everything through your lats tight, your backs tight, all that. Um, and it, it helps provide a little bit of recoil through that. Um, cause you'll see a lot of new lifters what will happen is they come down to their chest and they drop their sternum and their elbow will kick back. And then all of a sudden they're trying to press and they're pressing, you know, kind of yeah. away from them and they have to try to get it back. And, um, and that's not good. So I think like those two cues, um, they do solve a lot of problems mechanically. And those are two that universally, like most people need to, to use those. So, uh, if I had to like say any kind of you know, magical universal cue that you know, cured everything. Um, those are going to be like two that are, are very common um, that most, well, every lifter should be utilizing. So no matter how you bench, if you're wide, narrow. The only difference, like I said, would be like, even then you shouldn't really drop it too much. But like if you sink your bench a little bit, it's not going to be as high up, obviously. So the next one was about... Um, Basically covering the, the question's kind of long, so I'll just kind of phrase it. I think what he's talking about is like post-activation potentiation. Um, he's talking about like if you were able to take like a, a heavy single or something prior to like working sets. Now a lot of times in programming, like we might, we might work up to you know one heavier set of like a double, a triple, maybe even a single, mm-hmm. and then we do back down sets. I'm sure that happens. Um, but he, what he was talking about is like to make 
the CNS kind of turn on and make the lighter the sets below feel lighter and things. Mm-hmm. So there's there's two kind of different ways to talk about it. So with like post activation, um, what a lot of people do is do like um, I've seen you know Josh Bryant's talked about this a lot. So I mean if you go over to his page YouTube, he's talked about this a ton. But like he'll have um, he's had lifters like hold out you know. Let's uh, do this. Uh, Hornstraw, Jeremy Hornstraw does this, mm. where like in, in his warm ups he'll hold a, a heavier weight than what he's actually going to press. So uh, mind you, this guy's benching in the six hundreds, um, but yeah. So he'll pull something out that's um, heavier than what he's actually going to be using mm-hmm. or actually going to be, be benching to quote unquote get the CNS fired up and make those sets below feel lighter. Well. You know, the question was kind of my opinion on utilizing. I, I'm going to cover both of them. I think that there is a time and place for doing sets, like if we do a single or a double or a triple, and then we do back down. Um, there's a time for it, um, especially if you're maybe, let's say, at the start of a block or something like that, or if you're coming into off season uh, and you had just came off of a prep or a couple of weeks in and maybe I want you to go up and I want you to touch, you know, 80% or something for a single. Mm-hmm. And then let's back down to, I don't know, 72 to 75%, maybe even 70% and we'll work in reps there or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so there's a time and place to kind of do it. Uh, another time it's like if we're working up even, so I might have them go and touch a weight at 90%, but I don't want multiple sets at 90% because that's going to cause too much fatigue. So our back offs are going to be, you know, again down that eighty five range. Usually, usually it's about a five percent drop off. Um, sometimes not as much. It just depends. But, but the the whole point is to kind of let you feel that weight, let you move something heavier, but then also uh, getting in, being able to get in volume at a lower um, lower intensity, so it's less fatiguing. So that's kind of the whole point of that, and it, it it's different for everyone. Because there's people that are able to handle a little bit more volume at heavier loads, and it depends like how, what are you lifting? Are we talking about, you know, are you benching 500 pounds or are you benching 300 pounds? You know, are you a 275 lifter or are you a 132 pound female? Like, Mm -hmm. we don't, you know, there's all kinds of different things that go into that. But, oh, the other side of that, with post activation potentiation, I would say for most people, like the risk reward isn't there. It, there's there might be a time and place for it for some people. I think like in a prep, like I've ne- I've had to do them before, and I've you know I've had other people do them. Is especially for people who walk out squats. Like I've had people do a heavy walk out in a prep and then not squat it, you know, or a heavy hold or something. Um, some people do them with bench and stuff like that um, as an overload to later but never like i've never had someone do a heavy um a heavy hold or something like that and then go and lift a lighter weight does it work sure it can you know but Mm -hmm. i don't think it's like it's gonna work just like anything else like it's not gonna work for every single person you know and then here's here's the risk reward of it is what if you overload that too much and that person um you know, does unrack it or whatever, and something's not tight, something's not right, 
you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they hurt their shoulder, they hurt their back, or their leg gives out. That would suck, you know what I mean, in the squat. But you know what I mean? You never know what can happen. Mm-hmm. So um, it's one of those things that, like, the risk-reward for, for me, I, I don't know. You know. Who knows? If you do your warm-ups properly um, and you're not lazy about them, your CNS should start to kind of turn on anyway. So part of it comes back to what you're saying. When you look at it from a neurological standpoint, determining what you're trying to get out of it has uh, a lot of influence from the individual athlete. So if you have someone who is brand new to lifting and they don't have a lot of recruitment for the motor neurons mm-hmm. right there, this may not be a great idea. Because, like, sure, will things fire? Yeah, but do they know what to do with yeah. that gonna, in that situation? Are they going to freak out when that weight's a lot heavier? Yeah. But, the other thing is, like, if you were, to, let's just say, to take something through a rep that was extremely heavy, it, your back downs don't always feel great. So think of it that way, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's times I've hit a heavy lift and then my back downs still feel like shit. So, you know, if that were ultimately true, then my back down should always feel great, mm-hmm. you know, so... It's not always the case, but there's this uh, one concept that we learned, what was it, um, the psychology of motor behavior, where they looked at juggling, and I know this like it might be a far stretch looking at the two of them, but they said, what do you guys think is going to happen? So if we have three different groups, and we have one group that's going to you know have these uh, like juggling balls that they use, and then another group is going to do, you ever see those like ribbons, like juggling ribbons? Not that's right is like they go really slowly and it's for helping people to learn the motion of juggling. And then this group over here has sandbags, uh, like hacky sacks basically, that they're going to be juggling. Um, And then at the end of it, all three of them are going to go do, uh, I think it was like the hacky sack or the beanbag afterward. Who's going to do best going through it? I said that I think it's going to be people who do the juggling balls because that's harder. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to have to work faster. You're going to have to have more concentration on the hand-eye coordination as you're going through. You have to make sure that you have better control of them where they're going. And so... But the beanbags have already felt it. Right. So when they go from the juggling balls, it's like, oh, all that's already turned on. They're hypersensitive to this, and now they're just backing down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the people who did the ribbons, like, they're screwed because it's such a different rhythm, such a different feel. Well, yeah, they were because they increased in intensity, and that's a big jump. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was actually the people who had already been doing the beanbags mm-hmm. that did the best with it because they had familiarity with it. They knew exactly what the timing was, the rhythm of it, how to make it coordinated. So even if they didn't do a great job, they yeah. did better than they did before and better comparative to the mm-hmm. other two groups. So I think that there's something to be said in that where like, that's a measurement of coordination in an acute sense that is instigated by the activity. Just because you take something that is technically harder, requires more activation, doesn't mean that there's going to be a carryover to execution mm-hmm. afterward. Yeah. Could it? Yeah. Um, when you take all those things that we just talked about into consideration. Yeah. But as far as the way that the recruitment works on a number of factors, not just motor recruitment, as far as the coordination of syncing things up, yeah. got to take that into thought too. Yeah. And there, I mean, we could you could tie this into... You know, so many sports have, have tried different methods, different things to mm-hmm. try to remember if I've seen them recently. It seems like now, you know, everyone's grabbing the weights and jumping, like for jumping, like for basketball okay. or whatever. 
you look on the the CSCS gurus and you'll see okay. this stuff. So they're like, I saw guys the other day, that, you know, the 45s, the good hand, like there's a whole handle on mm-hmm. them in a couple of places. They were taking those and jumping. All right. Okay. Uh, trap bar jumps, stuff like that. But a couple years ago, it was all about strapping bands to yourself and jumping. Remember those, uh, I forget what they were called, they were like big squares, had a bunch of bungee cords basically coming off of them. Oh, yeah. And people used to like strap to them and jump all the time. Yes. And, like they're like little platforms or I forget exactly what they were called. I think there's like a couple companies that had them. But, um, you know, a couple of years ago, that was the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And now it's no, you need to jump with like free weights in your hand. And before that, long ago, back in, you know, people in the hood that couldn't afford all that stuff, I guess, you know, it's jump with, uh, with a weighted vest on yeah. or, you know, whatever they could find basically. Um, you know, I mean, that's dumb shit we did as kids. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to wear this weighted vest and then I'm going to take it off and it feels so light. I'm going to be so, okay. I'm going to be so much faster, jump so much <laughs> you higher. Pro- you weren't. <laughs> you right. just, you felt like you were, but right. then when you actually tested it, it's like, oh man, I didn't get anything out of that. In um, the end, like, if you did see improvements, why did you see improvements? Well, it's because you got stronger yeah. from training, not in that one acute yeah. moment going through. Or, um, with us, sprinters, remember like the air shoots and all that? And, yeah. Yeah, that was like the big thing, like, oh, and if I'm running with all this resistance and when I let go of the resistance, I'm just going to fly. And what was something that we used to do that worked really well, it was the reverse of that. We would take um, these resistance bands, but I mean, they were meant for sprint work and the elastic band on it, it had to have been like 20, 25 feet long when stretched mm-hmm. out. The kids would put belts on, we attached the band to it and we would do overspeed training. Mm-hmm. So they would be running at like 110% of their sprint speed. Now, they'd only be putting in, I mean, it's hard to put a number on it, but let's say 85 90%. So they could do multiple rounds of it, yeah. recover a lot better. But their body felt what it was like to go that fast. Mm-hmm. Now, you take the band off, they don't suddenly run faster. They don't suddenly run better, yeah. necessarily. But you're giving them an opportunity to learn how to coordinate things at that higher speed, which down the road has a benefit. So that when they're in a game setting and they are going all out, they know how to manage that. Um, which is, I guess is similar to this, but with the assistance of going above your norm as opposed to something that you have to work to go above yeah. the norm. The activation. Crap, what was I going to say? Oh, the thing that I used, we used to do, because it was the fad thing to do, they would do an eccentric with dumbbells, drop them at the bottom, and then do like a box jump. And we thought this was the best thing ever. It's like, oh, well, we're overloading the eccentric portions. We're going to get better activation as you're going through that. And then they're going to do the box jump afterward. And it's going to increase, you know, how much they're able to activate. And they're going to be able to carry that over. No, it's just a box jump. (laughs) No. Yeah, there's a lot of gimmicky things that, uh, well, are still out there. I mean, I think it's even worse now online because of online stuff. But, like, I can remember some of them that we did with, like, you know, some of them it's, like, there's purpose to it, but people don't understand the yeah. purpose. Like, this was, isn't to say that they don't work yeah, in any setting. Well, it's kind of like the thing of like, um, you know, instead of the shoot, you run with the sled behind you. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not necessarily meaning like we unstrap the sled, you're going to be faster. It's strengthening everything that runs through your body when you're sprinting. Like, it's strengthening the hips, it's strengthening the quads, it's strengthening yeah. the hamstrings. You know what I mean? It's more of a strengthening exercise than it is like. Okay, this potentiation, like if we cut this loose, you're just going to go. Like, so I remember reading about this one where 
the guy that I worked with, he was really big on if you're going to load them, you have to know exactly what the load is doing and the purpose for it. Mm-hmm. So we would have people who came in, and it was actually it was a lot of football players that we had this issue with, that we would put a sled on them. And we're like, all right, we're only putting 25 pounds on. And they're like, I can pull way more than that. It's like, you can. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you do that, you're completely changing your ground contact yep. time and what your running looks like. Well, not the fastest man ever. There's videos of him. He would only do like maybe 25, 30 pounds, mm-hmm. 35 pounds or so, maybe a 45 on a sled. Because it's got to look the same. And Yeah. And this is the fastest guy in history. Like, you know what I mean? So you can definitely load up he him could up pro- higher. Yeah. He could probably load that thing all day. But, but does yeah. that change his mechanics and therefore change what his body is learning yeah. in that moment? So they would butt heads with us on we can do more. And it's like, when the day comes that we need to use more for a different purpose, we'll do it. But right now, I need to see you have good mechanics yeah. going through it. And then the my boss would give us information where there was one in particular. Um, I want to say it was a, a different nation's boxing team. And news came out about their training that they said that they were doing weighted uh, rounds. So they'd hold weights in their hand. And they didn't say how much, and that was key. They would hold weights in their hands, and then after, say, once a week, and they were able to increase their punching speed doing this. And so the U.S. gets a hold of the info, and there are a couple places, and they're like, all right, we're going to start doing it with like these five pounds going through. And it slowed them down drastically. Yeah. And they're like, what's going on? We, we're doing what they're doing. And it turns out they were holding like a couple of washers. We're talking ounces yeah. that they were holding. The That's amount why, like, of increase is so important. Boxers will just, um, or even like MMA fighters will put on like boxing gloves. You know what I mean? Just those mm-hmm. couple ounces of heavier, or they'll put on like a he- boxer, put on a heavier glove or whatever. Because just those few ounces change everything. Yeah. Not, you know, holding a 10 pound weight to throw punches isn't going to do right. anything for you. So, one of the things that I read about it in relation to uh, activating things more, and this was more for uh, like proprioceptive and awareness activation but it was looking at only going over like four to five percent no if you want to have that learning effect if you go above that you can't execute well there is no learning that happens or if it is learning it's bad learning so i would be curious and you got me thinking about it when you commented about you know doing back down sets if there is a scenario in which the post-activation potentiation works really well for people does it work well in that same four to five percent in in a comparison to those other situations where we have that slight overreach? Yeah, and then taking advantage of that heightened experience mm-hmm. for other situations. I think knowing what that percentage is and then knowing the factors when that works really important. Yeah. Oh well, I think that answers that question. Was <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got kind of off running there, so. The other one, do this last one here, was um, it was about PED use, and uh, I think the question is basically like just to explain like I guess off season kind of what you should be doing in season. I don't know. It, it basically, like the the whole this is a whole paragraph question, <laughs> but talking about like there's people that will do too much in the off season, mm-hmm. and again, like I'm not a doctor, I'm not like someone who's an expert in peds or anything but um you know a lot of people in um i know a lot of people have learned the hard way and things like that but 
in your off season, especially like you know, say you just come out of competition, go with powerlifting, you know, you just come out of competition. Um, that's the time to start to taper everything down and back off. And during the start of your immediate off season, you should be tapering down and getting lower. And throughout the off season, you should generally sit lower than a meat prep. And when you get into those those tougher times in off season where it's like, okay, I'm not really recovering as well anymore. Things are getting a little harder. Okay, that might be the time to take your little bump up. Um, and by bump, I don't mean like if you're running, you know, 250, 300, 400 tests or something like that, your bump up isn't adding another 250 or whatever. Your bump up might be 100, something like that. It might be 150. Like that could be your bump. Um, it could be adding something else in that's uh, maybe not as a strong, you know, androgen or something, but adding something small in or you could run, you know, light dose of something like an MPP for six to eight weeks or something like that in your off season. Um, but it's meant to help you recover. That jump doesn't mean you rush your test to a thousand or something, 1500 or something. Um, doesn't mean you're running trend all through the off season. I think a lot of powerlifters are starting to come around to that. And a lot of people are starting to realize that from, uh, some of the people that did get kind of, you know, they were two or three year hypers and then got burned out and didn't really make too much progress after that. And it's like a lot of these guys were just blasting all year round. Your body starts to get used to that. Your receptors start to get used to that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of takes more. So you want to make it. So when you enter in your prep and you take a little bump, to you know, get into your prep. Sounds like we're talking about cocaine. Take a little bump. <laughs> uh, talking about drugs. Anyway. Um, so you want to, you want to take your your raise up there and you want it to be something that you're you're still feeling comfortable with you can still eat on sleep on you know mm -hmm. your recovery's getting a little bit better okay you see that strength boost and as you start to dial it in and add small things in okay sure at you know five or six weeks out you're starting to kind of bump things a little bit more maybe you're starting to add in four or five weeks out you start adding in other things that are going to help you kind of get that meat boost because that's where you want it you want the boost on the platform you don't want the boost to be eight weeks out and you still have eight weeks to go and you're dying during your prep and you feel like shit you can't sleep you can't eat and you have nothing that's going to help you to recover well it's going to still help you recover but you're not going to get that same pop as if you wait till later mm -hmm. so again maybe you're running um again i'm not telling you all what to take so just take it with a grain of salt do whatever you want to do but let's say you're running um you know test and a lot of people do like mpp into a meet or something they'll put that mpp in the last like i've seen it six weeks eight weeks and i've seen you know 10 or 12 weeks it kind of depends on the person their preference and stuff but let's just say you start that at like eight weeks out you know, you wait until then, okay, four or five weeks out if you want to add in an oral or something like that, that's fine. You know, but you shouldn't be, you know, because you're going to get that boost then by the time that oral sets in and you, you know, recover, taper back that meat, you should feel really good. Um, and a lot of people will bump just a little bit more, just a dash more of like whatever oral they're taking uh, a couple days out from the meat or some do a week out or whatever, mm -hmm. um, or just on meat day. Um, I, I usually would say like a couple days out, week out, take a little bump up, 
doesn't mean meat day you triple everything that you're taking <laughs> that doesn't help you either if you're throwing up or feeling like shit so um but the point is is that one don't overload your receptors two you know you don't want to feel like shit and not be able to the worst thing is if you kill your sleep and diet it doesn't it doesn't matter what you're taking mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're screwed you're not going to be able to perform um you know i've had it where uh, my what I considered a a bad meet, I mean it was kind of a bad meet. I did could have performed a lot better. Um, from Wednesday, you know, I competed on Saturday. What I get maybe um, maybe twelve hours of sleep. I think it was like three or four hours a night God. leading into that. And typically on meet day, like the night before a meet, I don't sleep too well anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I probably average maybe four hours of sleep. You know five at the most on the night before me that's kind of you know a lot of people are like that and it's funny because i won't even be nervous or and you know nothing about the meat it's like my body knows or yeah. something I, I don't know it's weird but um anyway so yeah like i couldn't sleep going into that meat it was, it was terrible it was a hell of a day to try to get through so and that i don't think that was from necessarily taking too much of any one thing Mm -hmm. but there was something i had in there that is a no-go for me that i kind of figured that out let's not take that again yeah Yeah, so figure that one out the hard way um plus i but you know back then i wasn't i probably wasn't as healthy on markers and shit my blood pressure is probably elevated or something to where you know it wasn't allowing me to sleep so um yeah that's kind of the whole thing um that brings up a good point where it's like you should know what your blood work is yeah oh yeah yeah i forgot about that part in the question too um he did ask about that is like getting your blood work checked and how important that is that if you are gonna do this stuff please get your blood work taken like it's some people are i don't want to spend the money you're spending the money on the things you're taking why aren't you spending the money on your health so um you know typically every couple months you should be doing it or Mm -hmm. if you want to know how things truly affect you every single month um during your cycle or whatever you should be getting everything checked so not only your hormone levels but you know getting your blood work taken so if you see something that jacks up your cholesterol or okay that thing spiked my liver enzymes or whatever then you know so you're not destroying your body um it's very important there's a lot of guys that are are walking through that probably have internal problems and they don't know it and they're not going to know it until it's too late right because until you get those numbers in front of you there are a lot of things that you're just not going to feel i mean they don't have symptoms until things really start to get bad and you know and you can always mitigate those by you know there's certain things you can um you can take to protect you know liver help kidneys Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that help the internal organs um things that you can help for inflammation through the, the digestive system and things too if you're taking especially if you're taking orals you know, knowing that blood work, like, you know, you you will see probably a liver enzyme spike. Mm-hmm. But guess what? If you get your, you come off everything post-meat or whatever, and you get your blood taken two months later, three months later, your enzymes could be back to normal, you know? So don't freak out like, oh, my liver enzymes are up. Well, it's, you know, they're probably going to be a little bit most times. But there's been, you know, plenty of blood work that I've seen of guys on some shit, and it's not... It's not bad at all. You might see like a 15, 20 um, uh, number percent. So they might be sitting at like 
in the 60s or something mm-hmm. when they were sitting in the 40s before or something like that 70s when they were sitting in the 40s so that's not too bad but like if your if your enzymes are spiking to like 200 okay oh, that's God. yeah that's a problem so you get that under control um, plus it's good to see like estrogens and stuff like that mm-hmm. see where that's sitting see uh, you'll find out if the stuff you get is real or not too because like if you know if hormones aren't if your test is like still the same as when you started it's probably fake i mean that's a great point coming back to what you said about not wanting to spend the money can you imagine like you go and do blood work and you find out that you've been on something for the past three months and it hasn't done anything yeah, how much money did you just waste on yeah. that that you would have kept wasting mm-hmm. if you hadn't gone and done the blood work yeah uh, i mean i'm a huge advocate for the blood work because i'm obsessed with information and mm-hmm. i think that there is so much that you can do to benefit yourself from a strategy standpoint where if you go into the off season and you're cycling off of things and you go into the blood work and you see where your numbers are and you then go back, let's say two, three months later and you do it again, you have so much that you can look at retroactively and Mm -hmm. say, all right, this is what I've been doing. This is how it had an effect. How do I need to take that into account going into it? Let's say you're doing one a year, like one meet a year. I have nine months knowing this. How do I plan out? Yep. Well, it's nice to see too because you know, if you get it taken, you know, over the years and things, and, and mark down like I was on this, this, mm-hmm. you know, and you kind of know. Um, you know, I've taken some bad advice before and been on more than I probably needed to be, mm-hmm. and then I've gotten blood work later when I'm on far less, and the blood work's been nearly the same once like receptors and things kind of got together again mm-hmm. and things like that. Started noticing like. I can keep the same level and still be strong. I don't need this level. You know, yeah. I don't need the this level way. You know, I'm moving with my hands. No one can see. But, <laughs> like, I don't need this high level when, you know, this level I can still be strong on. Yeah. There's no point to go to that level, and there's no point to take that much. So I've, I've told people that are close to me, um, you know, that I talk about this with. So I'll tell you is, like, for the past two and a half years, three years, I'm trying to do the math on mm-hmm. it. Anyway, I just know for the past um, four meets, each meet I've con- I've taken less than I was the meet before, and my total has gone up. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that before I was probably taking, again, through bad advice, taking too much, and there was no point to do that. So mm-hmm. take it from us that have learned the hard way, you know, you don't need to go crazy and sure, like I'm still probably going to have to take more than some other guy and some other guy is going to have to take way more than me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, it comes back to your genetics, your receptors, your things like that to know kind of where, where you are. Cause I, you know, a lot of guys lie about it. I'll tell you that right now. But like, I do know some people that haven't had to take much, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, I trust what they're saying and they've been, really fucking strong you know mm-hmm. and i've known others that have blasted all year round and they're still not as strong as i am you know and i've seen f- uh, females that take anivar and d-ball and they don't even total out of the 700s yet that's yeah. like what are you doing what are you doing there i mean you, you know? take a extreme example uh there's one lady who comes in as a client she has a particular condition where her body naturally produces pituitary gland, naturally produces more growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Just she's going to always have more growth hormone mm-hmm. um, to the point where someone would probably look at her numbers and say that she's on something. Mm-hmm. 
if she didn't know that and she decided for whatever reason that she was going to start to cycle onto something, think about how drastically she could mess herself up mm-hmm. not knowing that information yeah. um, or just waste money, waste time doing that uh, because there wasn't blood work done. Now, yeah. again, that's kind of a, a rare case with something like that. But yeah, if you're not going to take the time to look into that and you end up being somebody who cycles on things way more than they need yeah. to um, and then you aren't able to get any kind of progress and you still have low totals. Like, yeah. You talk about not wanting to spend money or waste money on things and not, trust me, you're wasting your money on something, yep. not getting any progress. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a lot. Um, so don't, you know, it's hard to take other, do your own research and the stuff is easy to find online. Like, and don't always listen to the like forums or like, you know, I'm not talking yeah. about that stuff. Like, um, but do your own research. Talk to people you trust too, because a lot of people will just lie about it. Like, um, you know, I've seen it from both men and women. You know, I've seen women say that they don't take anything, and uh, I wasn't born yesterday. I can see all the side effects. I can see them physically. So that, that means it's been going on a while. You know, um, probably taken more than than what I even think you've taken. So. Um, you know, or like I know people have said like, oh, I only take a little bit of VAR and like your total <laughs> the, and everything. I mean, unless you're a bad reactor to VAR, like I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, anyway, um, you know, same with guys like oh, I, I take 500 tests and that's it. Like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> but whatever you say. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to it's hard to, to believe everything you hear. So make sure you talk to people you can trust. People aren't going to bullshit you about it. So. There are more and more resources mm-hmm. all the time about people who, uh, doctors or just health professionals who can answer some of these questions for people there's who some are. On, yeah, there's some on YouTube that aren't too bad. Yeah. That will, they, they go over certain drugs and they talk about where it derived from, where, you know, what it does to your body and stuff. So there's a lot of information. So like you said, do your research. And that doesn't mean take 10 minutes and hop on a Reddit and be like, well, this person said this and this no. much. This person said to blast 2,000 tests. Yeah. It's like, no. well, they <laughs> were successful with it, so I guess that's what I'll do. Yeah. Um, you want to get some information from as reputable source as you can, but make sure that that source is also informed on you know what you're trying to do. And then, I mean, you can order blood work. Yep. So easy online and local and then uh, from there just get more and more specific we understand too some some people are pin cushions they can take a lot you know and some people like they can't without starting to get side effects so um remember that like you want longevity in the sport and you want you know either way you're probably knocking smears off your life but if you want like longevity in life too like yeah it's just like anything else if you abuse it it's gonna fuck you up mm-hmm. you know just like you abuse Alcohol, it's going to fuck you up. You know, it's, use anything, it's going to fuck you up. That's all I can say about it. So, um, anyway, I think, that, I think we covered questions yeah. a little longer than I thought it was going to be. So, um, yeah, we'll keep on. The next uh, podcast will be in the new year. So, we'll see what kind of crazy things happen. Knock on wood. So hopefully, hopefully everyone has a good new year, and uh, we'll see you next year. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one.